we no longer live in a world of black and white. Rather, the landscape has become a canvas of muted grays, where good is indistinguishable from evil, and renegades receive a hero's embrace. For nearly a decade, Brett the Hitman Hart was perhaps the most beloved superstar in the World Wrestling Federation. But when a stone-cold killer declared his intention to end Brett's legacy, the Hitman was perceived the villain, the unrelenting antagonist, the fan favorite. Soon anger replaced passion, arrogance supplanted a champion's pride. Brett turned his back on an entire nation and reunited the Hart Foundation to launch a reign of mayhem and destruction. Tonight in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, the paradox continues. Tonight, the prodigal sons return home the heroes, while five mighty superstars on a noble crusade become the villains. Tonight, the rogues are the beloved, the heroes the hated. Tonight, the gray clouds of disarray threaten to unleash a devastating tempest in your house. Welcome again to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. What do you have for us from the news desk this week, sir? Bray Wyatt is taking time off. No, he's not taking time off. He's just going he is, to get he's taken getting, to court. Well, he's going to, he's going to have to, to be dealing with some of his uh, divorce stuff, seeing as how him and JoJo apparently have a thing going on. Yeah, they... Uh, they showed up to the arena together the other day. Like, they're public with it now. Yeah, he uh, his soon-to-be ex-wife just unloaded on him on Instagram and just buried this guy. Yeah. I mean, and I do feel sorry for her, and I feel, you know, anybody that goes through a divorce, it's very tough, and, it, and especially when there's infidelity involved. But at the same time, when you are married to a wrestler, you know that this is probably not going to be a long-term thing. Now, I know many wrestlers have made it work. I mean, there's... Yeah. There's some wrestlers that have been married a very, very long time. We talked about Ivan Koloff. You know, when he died, he was married to his wife for almost... Over 50 years, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. But then you think of guys like Ric Flair, who's been married seven times, so... I mean, or Roddy Piper was married a long time. Like, I mean... Yeah. So it is possible, but in general, I think even more so now in today's environment when you are with the same people it's not like it was back in the day when you're going from territory to territory or even in the indie circuit you're just working with random people right you're on these and now with the brand split too i mean this has been going on apparently longer than maybe the brand split was together but now you're in a a small group yeah that is together every single you know five nights of the week basically because including the house shows and the the television. You travel together. You stay in the same hotel together. You're socializing. Socializing together because you, it's not like after the show you can run outside and like, oh, well, I'm gonna go to this this dance you club. You can't just or, run. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to this bar and like you can't. Well, and you can't. It's not like a nine to five job. You just don't go home at the end of the day. Right. And so like your buddies or you call them up and say, hey, come to my hotel room and hang out. And so yeah, there's no excuse for infidelity. There's right. no excuse for cheating on your wife. But as a wrestling wife, I feel like there's sort of you sort of know what you should know what you're getting into. Yes. It's just like being a musician's wife or an actor's wife or whatever. They're on the road or a truck driver's wife, for that matter. They're on the road all the time. They're never at home. When they're at home, they're there for two seconds. It's hard to maintain a, a 
successful relationship like that. Right. I mean, I'm not a pro wrestler, and I'm barely home. It's tough to maintain a successful relationship. That's because you're a workaholic. Well, that's true. It's it's very, very tough, and I, I feel sorry for his children and his wife. And Yeah, I, um, I do, too. It's, and especially uh, to have it be in the public. Well, she introduced it in the public, but to have to sit back at home and, and watch... Watch it go... Watch him on TV yeah. with... Yeah, being interviewed maybe by his uh, mistress. Uh, that's that's tough. It's it's right, and I really feel for for the situation at, at as as a whole because th- there's no good that's gonna. You think of well, maybe there's a bright side to there's no bright side to this. And no, so a lot of these you know a lot of people are positive people and think oh the glass is half full. In this situation, there's no thinking positive about it. It's just a bad, bad way all the way around. So, Justin Gabriel, do you remember Justin Gabriel? Yes, I do. Justin Gabriel is an old Nexus. Yeah, Justin. Justin Gabriel was in yeah Nexus. Yeah, yes. one of the guys in Nexus. Yes. Yeah. Justin Gabriel this past week decided he was going to go base jumping. Dangerous. It, very dangerous, because in the process, he decided to break his leg and chop his finger off. It's so. a very dangerous activity. I know a lot of people get thrills from all sorts of stuff. Uh, mountain climbing or, like, uh, parachuting. Right. Or, for me, base jumping is way more dangerous than any of that, because it's parachuting with a very limited window to open your parachute. Right. You're jumping off of a cliff. Instead yeah. of out of an airplane. Right. You jump off and you're, I mean, you got to pull that ripcord pretty quick if you're going to have any safety whatsoever. And even then, it's not that safe. Yeah. And you're probably diving into valleys, so gusts of wind. It's just a very dangerous thing. I think there's other ways. I'm sorry. I just, there's other ways to get your thrills. Well, and he, he has always, it's been publicized that he was a thrill seeker and in, in diving out of planes and things like that. And so I, this, this one instance just took. And he's already wrecked in one of these before. This is his second one. Apparently. Yes. Yes. When you wreck the first time, don't do it anymore. <laughs> but this time he is no longer going to be it has deformed him. He now has Well, he's lost one finger. He now has four fingers on one hand, so I want to see a, there you go. Well, we've already had a thumb a thumbless wrestler. Zach Gowan wrestled with one leg. One leg's different than a thumb. You can't really grab the ropes. I don't know if it was his thumb. I'm just making an I mean, assumption. Your boy, the Texas Tornado, wrestled with one foot. That's true. So and Kerry Von Erich wrestled. And you would never know. You he never would have known it with Kerry the way he moved. That so, is true. So I think it, it's uh, there's an NFL player, JPP, who blew his one of his two of his one and a half fingers off with fireworks. Jason Pierre Paul, that's his name. Jason Pierre Paul. Really? Was fucking around with fireworks. This guy makes millions of dollars. Was a star, like linebacker for. The New York Giants blew a finger and a half off. He still plays football. He just really he wears, I guess, a special glove or whatever. And you know they don't have to use their individual fingers so much when they're just shoving people or whatever. But as for wrestlers, though, I mean, you need to have your finger grab the ropes. You need to be maybe able it's to... an advantage because maybe you know stomp your hand. It won't hurt as bad. I that guess. is true. That maybe. is true. Don't go base jumping. Don't go base jumping. Yeah, I would rather strap me into a NASCAR race car and just send me around the laps. Send me around the track at like 200 miles an hour. That's my amount of thrill that I can do. Those Nexus guys, it just, for the most part, it just didn't work out with them. Oh, man. In the ring, anyway. (laughs) On a side note, good friend of mine made an announcement this week that May 
of next year, May 2018, he's going to retire. And I'm talking about none other than Buff the Stuff Bagwell. Why would he retire? He said because of acting. He's doing pretty good with his acting. And, and he's. Uh, he also said it's getting, the older he gets, it's getting harder to stay in shape. And so, and he... Well, when he we saw him the, in Rome, Georgia a couple of years ago, he was wrestling in a t-shirt, so... And so, uh, and and Buff, I mean, Buff, uh, he has respect for the business, whether some believe it or not, and he has respect for his gimmick, and he says, you know, you can't be Buff the Stuff Bagwell without being Buff, and so he can't, he doesn't feel like he can live up to the expectations anymore. Well, I feel like this is a ruse to get his rate to go up because, oh, I'm retiring in a year, so... Yes, just, he is taking bookings. Yeah, exactly. I just think this is, oh, man, look, this is one of your last chances to see me. That's true. Pay up. He's in the process of finishing up a movie right now, but, so... Is it an adult film or just It is not. Okay. It is not. It's a regular movie. He's working with uh, John Schneider. In his movie company in Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. So, and last but certainly not least, I had gotten behind. This has been on the network for maybe about a month now. Table for three with Jim Cornette, Eric Bischoff, and Michael PSAs. Well, I was kind of disappointed in it in that it's only like 17 minutes long. Yeah, it is kind of short, and, and I f- I feel like the reason it's short is they had to cut so much out of it. Yes, because it's just a shit fest on uh, Russo. At the start of the show, that was the way that Cornette tried to connect with yeah. Bischoff because Cornette does not like Eric Bischoff very much. I don't think Bischoff really... I'm not sure Bischoff reciprocates the hatred. I don't think Bischoff really cares that much about Jim Cornette. Right. This episode of Table for Three, I did like it though because I think this is what Table Three should do as far as having people there that don't like each other that are awkward awkward yeah, awkward moments sit them down like hey put a camera in front of you what's your beef with i me? felt like michael hayes didn't need to be there at all he basically acted as a mediator yeah between he the did. two of them he did but he had nothing to add they yeah jim Cornette had tweeted out that it, yeah yeah the actual thing the full link they they taped for 90 minutes and so yeah. they cut out a ton of stuff i want to see the full 90 minutes now that would be great i would love to see the raw footage i'm sure they yeah they probably didn't want to get into like slanderous territory or right. like yeah having russo call up the lawyers or whatever but yeah and i feel like some of the stuff that they talked about especially the stuff that bischoff said like i heard all these a lot of the talking points about writing down what he could do differently and like a lot of his talking points were the same but Cornette is always entertaining and i really liked it a lot um i would love to see the three of them sit down and do a table for three now yeah if they could do that that would be amazing television and in fact, I would rather these table for three episodes with people that aren't, especially Cornette, who has never been on the network before, right. other than that Hall of Fame appearance. They need to do more of that, bring in people that we don't hear sound bites from all the time. I mean, Michael Hayes and Bischoff are all over the network, all over these documentaries. I mean, they just did that Bischoff documentary last year. So yeah. I just. Which is very good, by the way, actually, if you haven't seen it. I enjoy okay. it. I just don't think there's anything new in it. Like I, it's very hard to find new things that haven't been said before right. about, about Bischoff and stuff. And he doesn't remember a lot of... That's the problem with a lot of these guys, too, is their memories about certain things. It's It happened so long ago that, that they don't and remember. That it. and Bischoff was, at the time, if you really think about it, man, he was carrying that entire company on his back. He doesn't get credit. I mean, he gets shit on a lot for the stuff. 
that he did in WCW that went bad. But the good stuff too, man, he, you know... He accomplished quite a bit and a major feat in a very short time. He's certainly not going to be criticized like Russo is because I don't think Bischoff, I don't think the ideas that Bischoff had contributed to the downfall of the company. I think Bischoff's, the main complaint about Bischoff is not recognizing that the younger talent and the cruiserweights and guys like Malenko and Benoit and Eddie should have been promoted. He should have started moving them up the thing and his resistance to change right really that's the only thing i can really say that that and i mean the nwo thing was a good run man it was good but then it got stale fast i would have gave it two two and a half years that's it oh well, when i think when sting beat hogan it should have ended yeah so some of his booking decisions were off but as far as the actual presentation of nitro for the most part while he was there he didn't do all the stupid shit that Russo did with right Smash TV with Three Count and the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea and The Wall and Pinata on a pole match and Tequila Bottle on a pole match and Russo's Revenge and and inter- when they show highlights of bad WCW it's almost all just Russo era yeah, stuff so it is and that's when they turned around and had to bring Bischoff back in to help Russo and it uh. It didn't work. It didn't work. And then Russo was there all by himself again. Yeah. And uh, he went back to shit. That was it. That was all she wrote. So, so um, I really enjoyed that table for three. I uh, did too. I really, like I said, I had gotten behind on them and I sat there and I, then I watched the one with Bruno and Randy Orton and Ric Flair. It was very well, very well done as well. But that's all I got from the, uh, from the news desk. Yeah. Tonight, Money in the Bank, we made our predictions on the last show. So you can go back and listen to that. This week was your pick. As yes. we step back in our time machine and we head to 97, we stay in 97. We are yes, we are rolling in... through 97 here as we go to July 6th. We did this uh, for the one and only uh, Smith Hart, who is up there fighting and battling cancer. And uh, it, he just, I'd stayed in contact with him and been in contact with him and told him we were going to do this show and hopefully he would be able to hear it. And so, but I mean, I'm hoping he can battle through, you know. God's will, he'll be able to push through. But uh, yeah, this one, this one's for you, Smith. So we go to July 6, nineteen ninety-seven. We head up to the Saddle Dome in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. It's time for the Canadian Stampede. Yes, which was more than just a wrestling event; it was a whole festival up there. It's a festival they do every year, right? Yeah, it's like their version of a big rodeo festival. I don't know why yeah. everyone's got cowboy hats. I'm not familiar with Calgary and their culture. The Calgary Stampede is an annual rodeo exhibition and festival. It's held every July. The 10-day event bills itself as the greatest outdoor show on earth and attracts over 1 million visitors per year. And it's one of the world's largest rodeos. It's a parade, uh, there's stage shows, there's concerts, chuck wagon racing and other exhibitions calgary is known as the stampede city wow it goes back all the way to 1886 so this thing is legendary yeah it's been going on a while when are we gonna go we need to go Uh, i don't think i'm going to go to the stampede 
I would leave the United States to go to Canada. Now, I don't that, that want one. to go to a rodeo. I don't like rodeos. I don't find I don't get anything out of rodeos. I like other redneck stuff. We're, I like monster trucks, tractor pulls, all that stuff's fine. But rodeos don't do anything for me. We're we're gonna get you on the back of a bull. That's okay. I just find it kind of stupid. The bull always wins. Well, the, yeah, the bull's gonna win. It's whether or not can you hang on the full eight seconds. Right. And and I I've never been to Canada. You, I think you have been to Canada. I have been. I did not make it to Calgary, but I uh, know I went to Ottawa. I went to Montreal. Okay. And I went to, well, which is in the province of Quebec. Right. I went to Quebec. I've only been to Ontario and Quebec. They're in Alberta. They're in the province of Alberta. That borders, I think, like Montana. Yeah, so it is out west-west. It is very west, actually. As we learn more about Canada, so... See, we we not only talk wrestling, we teach you. Geo- so. Geography. Yes. As I almost called it geometry. No, it's geography. Our last review is the Raw Go Home show to WrestleMania 13, and not much has changed no, since then. No, it's still the same. Uh, we've had the King of the Ring since then, which Triple H won. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but Undertaker's the, still the champion. The Undertaker's still the champion, and uh, Austin still wants a piece of Bret. So. Yeah, Austin is still very angry with Bret Hart for some reason. This pay-per-view surprisingly did a pretty high buy rate, 209,963 buys, which is more than King of the Ring. This would be the fourth highest buy rate of 97, so... Pretty good for a B show. That Yeah, for an in-your-house, and, and I love the in-your-house shows. I a lot of people think well, of they them still a second, exist right? today as we have 18 pay-per-views so they just have different names. Yeah, but I wish they would bring back the in your house set and everything and do an in your house pay-per-view. What I liked most about this was that it was only 2 hours. That, that is yes. phenomenal. Yeah, an hour and 48 minutes. With only four matches on the main card, so thank you very much for picking I f- this. I figured show. you would be okay with that. We have 12,151 Calgaryans. Calgaryans there in attendance go. tonight at the Saddle Dome. It's a hockey team. Uh, yes, it's where the Calgary Flames play, and it's also where the Calgary Hitmen play. Okay. Bret Hart's hockey team that he had some ownership in at one point. That Does he still own them, or is it a- No, he is no longer part of the ownership group. But sometimes they wear their throwback jerseys that, the Hitman that he jersey. used to wear yeah. all the time. So The Calgary Flames, formerly the Atlanta Flames, that was the first expansion team that the... Well, it was the first NHL team that Atlanta lost. They later lost the Thrashers, who became the Winnipeg Jets, so... Atlanta can't keep a hockey team. This show won Best Major Show of 97 by Dave Meltzer, the greatest wrestling journalist there ever was. In a bit of controversy this week in 2017, as he, he awarded Okada Omega 2 six and one quarter stars, Patrick, because his five-star rating was previously the highest until o- Omega Okada 1, which he gave six stars, rated this one even higher. Six and one. Six and one. It broke the scale. Omega and Okada keeps breaking the scale. And the internet is just going crazy over it. I mean, I don't see what the big deal is. It's his his opinion. Yeah. You don't have to agree with it or anything. It's just what he thinks. Our dark match tonight, well, this was on the free-for-all. They didn't include the free-for-all on the network version here. We missed the Godwins defeating the new Blackjacks, Blackjack Wyndham and Blackjack Bradshaw. There you go. The new Blackjacks, I thought, were a great tag team. The Rednecks defeating the Cowboys is basically 
And you're at you're at a cowboy. You're at a rodeo. Yeah. So these were the that, two oh, greatest man. tag teams to book there. This should have that should have made the main card right there. A black and white promo recaps the Austin Hart feud and how things have changed. Our hero Bret Hart is now roles reversed. Is angry. Yeah. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is now who the people cheer for. Yeah. But now we're in Canada and it's all going to be reversed once again. So throw all that out the window. We open, we go to the arena. A Brett rules sign with two T's on Brett. Now this is Calgary. These yes. are the diehardest of diehard Brett Hart fans, and they can't spell his name. Pro wrestling fans who make signs are the worst spellers <laughs> that in is the history true. of the world. You can go, sometimes Nitro would be in Charlotte, and there would be a Ric Flair sign, R-I-C-K. Yes, or Kane would be spelt C-A-I-N. Yes, or K-A-I-N. No excuse for this. This yes. fan should be ashamed. It could have been a kid, though. Well, his parents should have said, you spelled it wrong. Get some white out. Go fix it now. JR, Jerry Lawler, and Vince are a commentary team. They're all in cowboy hats, as would be Howard Finkel, because we're at yes. the rodeo. Although, my problem is, where in the hell did King get his hat? <laughs> it's like a black leather looking thing. And the, you can't see his face. Like, this thing looks like, I mean... How could he even see what was going on? The Statue on? of Liberty could have wore this hat. It was that big. Yeah, it, it sinks over his head, and so he can't see. Maybe I, he just slept through the whole show. I don't know. Or took it off to do commentary and then put it back. It I would don't have know. been nice if he had a hat with a crown on it. Somehow. That wouldn't see. There you go. He looked very odd in this cowboy hat. He did. He It threw me for a loop when I saw it. So. Maybe he was embarrassed to be wearing it, so he wanted to cover his face. That could be possible. Our first match, King of the Ring, Triple H, and China are out. A promo recaps how spoiled brat Triple H... Versus Mankind, you know, do-it-yourself Mankind was the King of the Ring final where Mankind did the interview with JR and talked about, showed his uh, dive off his roof when he was a kid, when he was dude love, and they talked about how how he had to struggle to get into this business, so he, of course, lost to the spoiled brat, snob, silver spoon, Triple H in the finals. Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Bored with the silver spoon in his mouth. Has Hillsley ever tried to buy the WWF? Uh, I don't believe so. Mankind, born with a dream that turned into a nightmare. I never had the chance to show the world that I could love and could be loved. One month ago, these two contrasting backgrounds would meet to see who would become the 1997 King of the Ring. Ladies and gentlemen, the 1997 King of the Ring, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Here he goes. No! As Helmsley lost his mind. This ring is now my house. I like admission to your house of pain. And when I get there, I want a rematch. I think you should come down here in the ring right now and kiss my... Well, it's your lucky 
Mankind gets a lot of love from this Canadian crowd. Everybody loves Mick. Triple H, though, is upset by this, and he cuts off his entrance and they brawl. Mankind hits his double-arm DDT right off the bat, and Mankind imitates Triple H's curtsy, which is very strange to see Mick Foley doing a curtsy. Mankind does his running elbow drop off the apron into Triple H. Bang, bang. Little Cactus Jack throwback. He rolls H in the ring for a two count. Vince mentions here, Look at those delts on China. <laughs> you know, it's odd that a guy that is so into muscles like Vince that is married to Linda. You know, you would think that he would be with some big bodybuilder chick, you know? Right. Like just some Nicole Bass looking woman, you know? <laughs> like, But somehow he's yeah, with hey, Linda. Vince McMahon is, a, is a ripped for his age even now. Oh, yeah. So... He's got Jinder Mahal's body at yeah. 72. Yeah. Triple H says, you know what? I think I'll just leave this match. But Mankind goes, chases him down the ramp and says, I don't think so. Brings him back. Snap suplexes him on the ramp for his trouble. Then Mankind applies the mandible claw. China decks him and breaks it up. Triple H whips Mankind into China, who slams him into the stairs. Just dumps him right onto the yeah, stairs. Yeah, it's a hip toss. Yeah. yeah, a hip toss. His legs go right into the stairs. Right, his knee, the back of his knee. That was ugly. And then Triple H says, you know what? Good idea. I'm going to work on his legs. And so that's what he does. He goes and grabs the chair and smashes him in the legs. And then he puts the boots to Mankind's legs, drops an elbow on him. Then he drop kicks Mankind in the legs when Mankind stands up. He puts Mick in a figure four, and Mankind simply just smacks H across the face to get out of it. After Jimmy Corderas broke up uh, the leverage that Triple yeah. H was using on the ropes, he did the old kick the hand off, which you guys, you shouldn't get involved like that. Sorry, I think a ref should just no, I mean, gently grab the arm and pull it off. You do what you gotta do. Triple H looks for the pedigree, but Mankind gets out of it and drops an illegal headbutt to Triple H's balls. Yes. They said it was incidental contact here. I think it was incidental contact. It shouldn't matter. Yeah, they say it was incidental contact, but if my head just ends up in your balls, it's 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 on it's on purpose. I still think it was incidental. I th- I I would let it go. I as a referee, I would roll to let it go and keep keep the match going. Triple H gets put in the tree of woe, and Mankind does his running elbow drop on Triple H, who's in the tree of woe. Then he pile drives Triple H for a two count. That was an ugly pile driver. Yeah, it was awesome. Mankind tries to use a chair, but China breaks it up. Triple H gets it and smacks Mick Foley with it. Then China clotheslines Mick Foley. Triple H gets crotched in the top turnbuckle and gets mandible clawed. But China drags Mankind crotch first into the post to break it up. Mankind gets dumped into the crowd. Ding, ding, ding. The quickest 10 count in the world. They're both counted out. Yeah, this was a, this was a fast 10 count. Yeah, as soon as they were over the guardrail, that was it. Mike Chioda was... I'm pretty sure it was Mike Chioda. I think it was Jimmy Corderas. Was it here. Jimmy Corderas? Yeah. Okay. Jimmy was counting really fast here. This was insanely... They were outside the ring a good four seconds, and he's like, Oh, 10 count, sorry. They battle into the penalty box of the Calgary Flames, and then they battle on the ramp and get shuffled off. That's that. That's that. <laughs> you think. We won't see them brawling anymore. No, we're done. They're, they're done. It's over with. Good to go. What did you think of this match, Patrick? An awesome match. I didn't realize how many times until I saw this match. Triple H and fucking Mick Foley. I did my research. I saw this match and I was like, wow, I got to do some research. They wrestled each other more times than any other pair in the WWF. Really? Yes. 
Around this time, I guess. I would say I w- easily around this time, but I would venture to say probably ever. I don't know. Randy Orton and uh, John Cena might have them. It might be up there. It was almost like it was put the two of them together and there's money to be made because Mick and Triple H wrestled all <laughs> the time. I know. I talked about this uh, on one of those shows we reviewed their match that Triple H just does not give this guy enough credit. That they wrestled all the fucking time. Yeah. I'm going to try to look up this actual... This actual number count. Televised. Now, this is not going to be legitimate because I'm sure they worked house shows and stuff, too. I'm sure this has some house shows on there. Are we going to do over-under on this? (laughs) Put it in your bets now. I would say... Before we count it up, we're not cheating. This is true. Because he... Mankind debuted the night after WrestleMania 12. Correct. And he... I would say he retired... What year did he retire? 2000 from full-time? Yes. So between 96 and 2000, I'm going to say they wrestled 20 times is my bet. And what would you say? Oh, I'm going easily 45, 50. Does this include tags or is this just singles? This includes tags and everything. Okay. Put me at 50. (laughs) 50. (laughs) All right. Not including Royal Rumbles, correct? No, not including Royal Rumble, because everybody, you have to count everybody in that, so no. This is an unofficial tally. We're not going to be set in stone here. All right, so. We go to the big board. This is an incomplete list. It's not 100% perfect, so just bear with us. And it says, drum roll. Between 97 and 2000, from my best calculations with the Internet Wrestling Database, 21 times. So you were, wow, you were right on top of it. Very close. Very close. I love watching this pair go at it, though. It's great. Oh, yeah. I just. I mean, Mick and, Mick and Triple H, there's not a, there's nothing you can do that they won't do. <laughs> or that they won't make a great match out of. We get some highlights from the Stampede Parade. Yes. And a recap of the weekend's events. I'll include it here. The Calgary Stampede and WWF weekend festivities kicked off yesterday with the Stampede Parade. Thousands lined the streets to see marching bands, floats, and the WWF. Hometown favorites, the Hart Foundation, graced the World Wrestling Federation float, along with the beautiful Mrs. Calgary 1997, Diana Smith. Of course, she is the Bulldog's wife. The weekend continued to sizzle as Calgary's hero, Brett the Hitman Hart, came out to visit his faithful. Check out all the signs, posters, pictures, and support loyal Hitman fans came out with. Unbelievable. Fans line the streets for a mile. That's right, literally one mile just to get near their hero. And they were disappointed as Bret Hart signed each and every autograph. Later on that day, some of the Hart Foundation's opposition, Gold Dust and Hawk and Animal from the Legion of Doom, attended the White Hat Ceremony. This ceremony gave the WWF the key to the city. The WWF superstars also competed in a tug-of-war contest. The superstars prevailed, but the real winners were the fans. And earlier today at the Stampede Grounds, thousands anticipated the arrival of Bret Hart. The legendary Bret the Hitman Hart! To say the least, 
The Hart Foundation are crowd favorites here in Calgary, and it is easy to see why they are going to have the home field advantage tonight at In Your House Canadian Stampede. Well, Brett, I know you guys are extremely excited about your encounter tonight, but you know, the entire reputation of the Hart Foundation could very well be on the line because if you guys were to lose on your home turf, it could be devastating. Let's not even talk stupid. There's gonna be, oh, look at this, look at this. Come on, does it take two guys? Is that all it takes? Why don't you come on, you got an excuse. Bitch. Back here right now, what's it gonna prove? It's gonna prove that Steve Austin got jumped five on one. We don't want five on one. We want five on five and we get out there. That's where we'll get the job done. Then we go backstage with Doc Hendricks, who's with the Hart Foundation. Doc says if you lose in front of your hometown, it could be devastating. Brett and takes offense to that, and Brett goes, lose? What? Just get that out of your mind. But before they could elaborate further, Stone Cold Steve Austin breaks into the locker room yes. and tries to attack them and has to be restrained by the referees. Pat Patterson and the referees are holding back Stone Cold. Now the weirdest match of the night, I would say. Taka Mishinoku is up next to, great, to take on... The Great Suzuki, which I was stunned because I didn't think the Great Suzuki ever worked for WWE. I just think it's weird the book here is just very weird why why is this the now, great sasuke just fyi the great sasuke is a japanese legend and he's a politician in japan now, yes yeah. he is a and they're making a movie about his his life actually coming out later on this year but before we can start the match triple h and mankind they're not done brawling yet no they, they battle back out again through the crowd again to the penalty box and then they get shuffled out again. Yes. Now we can start the light heavyweight match. Now they start out the match by not wrestling like high flyers. Instead, they decide to do mat-based rest holds, which is a way to kill this already dead crowd for this match because they had no idea who these people were. And No, this it, was Taka's first match in it, WWE. His pay-per-view debut. Yeah. Good way to start here. <laughs> the great Sasuke locks in a half crab, but Taka gets to the ropes. Sasuke throws Taka out of the ring and hits a karate kick to Taka's head off the top turnbuckle. They get back in the ring. Sasuke hits a spinning back kick to Taka. Oh, corner. man, that was ugly, too. Takes his head off again. Yeah. This poor man. Taka lost some teeth on that. He had to have. Sasuke gets tossed outside the ring, and then Taka hits a springboard plancha. They get back in the ring. Sasuke tries a German suplex attempt, but Taka leaps out of it. He hits a Hurricane Rana for two. Sasuke hits a springboard moonsault to Taka, who was on the outside of the ring. They get back. Taka hits a belly-to-belly on Sasuke for a two-count. This is where I think they really fucked up the booking of this match. Mishinoku calls for the Mishinoku driver, hits it, and Sasuke kicks out. Yes. This guy's first match. Correct. When they signed him, they made a big deal about this. We signed the legendary Taka Mishinoku. He is going to be your the face of the light heavyweight division. Yes. His finisher is deadly. Deadly. It is. It's It's an awesome looking move. It is. I wish somebody would still do it. And you have a guy kick out of it. I mean, that's just bullshit. When you compare careers, the great Sasuke is is way up there. And I, I do believe it was a respect thing. Maybe. Sasuke hits a bridging tiger suplex and defeats Taka Mishinoku in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Way to start off your career right, buddy. Taka Mishinoku yes. jobbing in his first pay-per-view match. 
I don't even know if I'd call it jobbing. That was a that was a pretty good match for both. It was fine, but he should have won the match with I, his no, finisher. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. When Sasuke isn't signed long term, I mean, he, I didn't know he even had a match in the WWE. I didn't know he had either. And I knew so, he had done a few, very few things with WWE or WCW, and then he did most. He of, did some ECW. He did. Stuff too, yeah, I, I was gonna say most of his stuff was ECW, and then in the in the states, and then everything else was Japan. Triple H, Mankind. This is like the chicken fight on Family Guy with uh, Man, Peter dude, and the chicken yeah, fight. Yeah, they, they start refuse going, to stop. They're going now outside of the arena. <laughs> and Triple H gets back body dropped on some wood. Helmsley is finally pulled away by a referee. Some referee saved Triple H's life. And he's bloodied. He bladed somewhere along the line here. We saw a replay of Ahmed Johnson injuring his knee. He was supposed to wrestle Undertaker tonight, but he... For the title. We are saved the mat. Thank you. Uh, the best knee injury to ever occur <laughs> in the history so of up. knee injuries. <laughs> that is so messed up. <laughs> well, this... I believe this was when Ahmed had joined the nation. It was. So he was a heel. Correct. And now this... This he, changed the trajectory of the WWE because The Rock ended up getting the spot in the yes. nation. Because of the fact Ahmed got hurt, this is what put Rock in the in that spot. And changed everything. Yeah. And it saved us a fucking Ahmed Johnson match. So. See, I would have loved to have seen Ahmed oh, and Taker. Oh, God. This would have, that would have been a disaster. Because he would have beat Taker, and then Taker would have got up and just hauled off, and it would have turned into a shoot. I'm telling you. Instead, we're going to get Vader with Uncle Paul, Paul Bear. Paul Bear has been screaming about Undertaker killing his family. This is after yes. the Undertaker had burned his face off on Raw. Yes. So there's no more white makeup. There's no more mustache. Paul Bear is hideous with the scars from the burning or not wearing makeup is yes. what it actually was. <laughs> Vader now beat Undertaker at Royal Rumble. Again, leading to my question, what made... Undertaker number one contender at WrestleMania 13. He got beat at the Royal Rumble. We still don't know. No, we'll we never know for sure. Because he was what in the he was in the final. He lost the final four. Yeah, but he was in the final four of the Rumble and lost. And he got beat earlier that night by Vader. I guess. Okay, maybe it was. He got beat by Vader that night at the Rumble. He actually okay. wasn't in the last four people in the Rumble because Fake Diesel was in. One okay, of them. I, I knew there was one big man. So okay. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know how he's number one contender. I don't even know how he won the title. How did he even get... It was basically, I guess, WrestleMania 13, Taker's got a... If unlucky, we can't have Brett and Sean, then we're going to... Unlucky 13, you got to have Taker. I don't understand why we couldn't have Brett and Sean. Well, his knee, you saw what, a, what an Yeah, and at WrestleMania, knee. he does a backflip off the top rope. I mean, come on. I'm kind of wondering where Sean was tonight for this show, because that would have been... Oh, Sean's not allowed to Canada, so... Just <laughs> I don't think he, he's allowed back in Canada ever again. No, he's been there. I mean, they they fi- towards the end of his career, they finally quit booing him. They finally gave up on They finally let it go. But it, it took a long time. I don't know, man. Those those scabs, they that's some wounds that I don't think many people can get past. So Vader and Paul Bearer come out, and then Taker's music hits, and I had to fast forward through Taker's walk because, man... This was not a special entrance. This was not a WrestleMania entrance. It took him it two took, minutes to get to the ring. Yes, it was a very slow entrance. I guess because they knew uh, there's only one more match after this. Yeah, they had to kill some time. Bearer hides from Undertaker. He 
ducks under the, the ring to hide from him. Taker takes Vader down with a clothesline and a leg drop and goes immediately for a two count. We get old school on Vader for a two count. Taker big boots Vader right out of the ring, who lands on his feet. Vader whips Taker's knees into the steps. Bear screams at Taker, You're nothing but a murderer! Murderer! That was very good, by the way. Uh, it's murder. You do the best, Paul Bear. You're nothing but a murderer. <laughs> good. Yeah, see. Taker stalks Paul Bear, but Vader makes a save, so when he knocks him down, Bear lands a few kicks on the Undertaker. What an asshole this Paul Bear is. <laughs> Vader puts on the deadly Ionian nerve grip on Taker. Taker hulks up. But to stop it, Vader thumbs him in the eyes. Taker tries a choke slam, but Vader low blows Taker right in front of the ref to stop the choke slam. Yeah, I don't. I would have called for the bell. Taker tries a tombstone. Now Vader tries to reverse it in one of his own, and ooh, they botch this. They yeah, they all go stumbling. What they were... did, did Taker not ever realize he's wrestling a massive man that he is not? I mean, this was not a good idea. No. Uh, well, I mean, I what they were going for was he was gonna he's reverse gonna... it. Reverse, and then another reverse, and that was the finish. I, I think. I'm almost sure. They because they, they stumble right back into that sequence yet one more time to get the finish of the of the match. So Vader goes up top to try a Vader bomb, but Taker just hits him in the dick. Again, right in front of the ref. Super choke slam to Vader. Only gets a two count. Vader then gets choke slammed again. So, tombstone. One, two, three. And that's it. Which was very impressive, by the way. I mean, Vader was no small man. I, I think what's unfortunate here is that Vader had to work like a heel, and so he wasn't going to do like a moonsault or any of his like... His regular stuff. Agility. Yeah. To really show off. This wasn't a showcase for Vader by any means. And But then again, this isn't even promoted as the main event. The title match is here in the middle of the four-match card. Yeah. So... And on short notice, I guess they... Vader doesn't make a good heel. And here's why. Because Vader is cool. Like, there's no one that... You can't, yeah, I mean... You, you can't look at Vader and be like, oh, I hate, I really hate that. And Leon is too nice of a guy to have any sort of heel traits. Like, yes. Yeah, I, he's you, just a big brawler. Yes. He's, he, but if you ever meet him, like, at autograph sign, he's like a giant teddy bear. Like, he will sit there and talk and just hug and, like... Hey, what's up? And he had already done the Boy Meets World episode, I think, by now. So yeah. He, like, you can be a heel that's just, why is Brock Lesnar a heel besides being cunty? Uh, it's because he beats the shit out of people, and you're like, oh, the, he's a bad, bad man or whatever, but... He just doesn't care about you, the fans. Yeah. Uh, Vader, if he... When he wrestles as a heel, it, he just has to throw a lot of punches, but there... I don't know. There's just something about Vader. I can't hate Vader. There, he, Vader, Vader was do, always pushed as a heel. In the WWF. Even so. in WCW. Yeah. And the problem with that was, was Vader fell under that umbrella of Austin, where you were like, I just can't dislike him because he's so cool. Well, he's he's got a cool look. I mean, yeah. there's nobody else that looks like and, this and guy. And so, I mean... And he's got the thing that... Sh he's got the elephant the head. The big Mastodon elephant head thing, yeah, that shot smoke out. I mean, that's a face thing to have. Like, Yeah, I mean, that is pretty cool. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, so I agree with it's you. It's tough for me to buy him as a, as a heel ever because I just... I like the guy. I just I, I've always liked Vader. I think Vader is is a tremendous athlete and 
the man Leon, and he he can't is, he is doesn't a, have the mic skills to cut good heel promos. That, yeah, too, so. that's true. More Stampede highlights. I mean, we got to show all this this rodeo and the parade and cowboy hats and Canadians and people loving Bret Hart. Then we get a promo recapping gang warfare is amongst us, Patrick, with the Nation of Domination and Los Periquas and. The uh, Disciples of Apocalypse or whatever. The DOA. None of those people were featured on this card, but we just needed to remind you that gang warfare is a We wanted you to know that that here's the deal. is Everybody's squaring off in gangs, and the WWF is about to have serious problems. Recent events surrounding the squared circle have made chaos and mayhem commonplace. We ride together! And guess what else we do, big man? We damn sure fight together! Full-fledged brawls are breaking out everywhere. The new nation and the disciples of the apocalypse, the DOA, hooking it up here. Nothing more than a street fight. But all of these altercations and clashes in the WWF seemingly pale in comparison to the feud between Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Hart Foundation. Wait a minute. Oh no, my God! And although Austin has certainly held his own, the tag team he will captain in Calgary to take on the Hart Foundation will even the odds and fuel the fury. to cheer on their scum heroes like Goldust, Legion of Doom, Ken Shamrock, Stone Cold Steve Austin. But when they come across that border, it's gonna be a whole different story. We are just gonna go in there and pound these guys in the dirt, just like they deserve. 10 men. One brawl. The countdown to chaos in Calgary is complete. The moment of mayhem has arrived. Well, gentlemen, here we are, moments away from perhaps stepping right into the lion's den. And whether it's true or not, a lot of people feel that your team could perhaps be the underdogs tonight. Well, you remember I put this thing together. I was the peacemaker. And they want to play Clint Eastwood? Well, you're looking at the best five that can do it tonight, and we're going to. I've been in unfriendly territories before. And I've been in with unfamiliar and untamable fighters before. But when I enter my zone, it's time to get it on. You know something, Duck? Bret Hart can go out there and try to BS all these people all he wants. This ain't got nothing to do with the U.S. or Canada. This has got to do with the survival of the fittest. And we're going to find out tonight if you got what it takes to be the strong one in this match. Tell him, Hawk. I got one thing to say. What a rush. Stone Cold. Stone. It, might, it might lead to some gang rules. Some gang rules. Later on at Survivor Series this year. Doc is with the 
I guess they they're the default Team America here. Is uh, yeah, Stone Cold Steve Austin, LOD, Goldust, Shamrock. They all timeout. LOD, I get. <laughs> Ken Shamrock, I get. Austin, obviously, I get. I love Dustin. I love the Goldust gimmick. How in the hell does he fit into this? They would do this later at Survivor Series. He was in Team USA. Yes. Like, nothing. It's not that he is an American. That does count. But he's never been like. He's never done anything patriotic. <laughs> yeah, he's whatsoever. He's not the real American. He's not. When you think hacksaw of, Jim when Duggan. you think of America, you don't. You know, you you think of Austin from Freedom of Speech. Okay. You think of Road Warriors from... Well, Austin from, needs to be in this with Brett. With yeah, but still, Brett. though. But he doesn't... You think, Austin, of, you think of Road Warriors as the blue-collar working man, and you think of Ken Shamrock as the as the fighter, you know, the working man fighting class, you know. Goldust is this feminine... Androgynous alien. Yes, and you're like, how in the hell does he fit into this? I don't think he even had a feud with any of the Hart Foundation here. It's just like, never grab a guy. They just needed a fifth guy. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's. And but in the in the interview, he's like, yeah, this was my idea. Yeah. He somehow wanted this to happen. This this bugged me. I he was in a feud. I guess with Pillman would be the his. Yes, that's it. it, Okay, because that was leading Marlena. That was leading into the unfortunate passing of Brian Pillman. Yes. Well, bad blood. Still had a few months to go, but then when Pillman won Marlena and she was a sex slave and all that stuff. So, yes. So I don't know if that stuff had started, so maybe that's why Goldust is included. But outside of Goldust, I mean, who's left on the roster that you would put in this? I guess Vader would have been actually in this. I think that's probably what – well, Vader is w- a heel, though. I would have thrown uh, – uh, <laughs> did you – Rocky Maivia probably would have been a good good – I don't know, man. He's still green there, dude. He's still real green. I would Well, it really doesn't matter who you put in this American team or whatever right. because they're all getting booed anyway. Yeah, so. no. I would have done uh I would have easily done something along the lines of uh well, if they had waited a couple more months, they could have got uh Del Wilkes in there. The that's Patriot, what I was going to say. Yeah. You took it right out of my mouth. So then they all do their standard promos, and then uh, the mic goes to Stone Cold, and he refuses to talk. No, he just walks off. So, <laughs> I mean... Thanks for his contribution tonight. He he obviously does his talking in the ring. Yeah. So. Farmer's Daughter, uh, a, a group from... An all-female group from Canada sings the Canadian National Anthem, which... I have never heard of these people before. The crowd fucking loved them, though. They yeah. went nuts they did. at they the end of this. They went absolutely insane for them. I, have you heard of them? No, I, okay. I don't know Farmer's Daughter. Fink is in a cowboy hat, just like everybody else. He introduces a couple of people, like the governor, or, not, or like the mayor of Calgary's in the front row, but then the real celebrities, the Hart Stu family. and Helen Hart, yes. Well, the entire Hart family is yeah. there, and so, yeah. This is a 10-man tag. Only one fall wins it. I wish... It was a elimination, elimination match. That's what I was thinking, too. Austin comes out to a mixed reaction, actually. He's so cool that some people just still have to cheer for him. They're not, yeah. They love Brett, but they you can't deny this man's charisma. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Right. And uh, the rest of the Americans come out to no reaction. Now it's time for the real reactions of the night when the Hart Foundation... And they each get their own individual entrances. Which let, I, me, let me tell you something. When Brian Pillman first comes out and that place went absolutely insane, 
I was like, holy crap. I don't think Brian Pillman's been cheered like this <laughs> in 15 years. Yeah, oh, definitely. I... And they're going to have to function as a team, and that could be the difference in this match. Here we go. Made me miss hot crowds like this because, yes, like, yes, this crowd yes. was so fucking excited. Oh, to see they were pumped. Guys. They were pumped. And then you had, uh, then you turn around and you got uh, Nightheart out there next, right? And, and then the British Bulldog. Then you got Bulldog with Mrs. Calgary. Yes, his wife at the time uh, became the they the I beauty guess, pageant. Their, yeah, the Calgary beauty pageant. 
and uh, Diana and uh, then Owen. Then you got Owen, and they part ways and have two on the left and two on the right. And Brett's music hits, and you can't even hear it. You can't hear his music. You can't hear his music. You can't hear commentary. You can't hear nothing because that place is, I mean, the roof is literally blowing off this place. Yeah. And it was it was cliche. The cameras were shaking, and I actually bought that they were shaking from all the yes. stomping and noise yes, in the arena. Because it, it's cliche to hear it, but I love this thing that Gorilla Monsoon used to say all the time. They're hanging from the rafters. This, they were hanging from the rafters because they, people jumping up and down, cheering, screaming, yelling, reaching over the barricade just to get a touch of, of Brett. It was it was like a mob scene, really. Yeah. It was insane. Austin and Brett start out the match, which is a good idea that they had the two guys feuding, the two, yeah. the two top guys start yeah. the match. They just brawl. The building is shaking from the crowd who is still standing up just going ape shit. Austin puts the million dollar dream on Bret Hart, which they don't call it the million dollar dream because million dollar man had gone to WCW, so it's just a Cobra Clutch or whatever now, so... Yeah. He puts the million dollar dream on Hart, and in a callback to the Survivor Series finish, Brett boosts off the turnbuckle and rolls into a cover. And he gets a two count. Now we get the, uh, the tagging in of all the other participants. Neidhart tags in, and Austin Thez presses him and does his punches. Shamrock tags in, and I just, I laugh seeing the visual of Ken Shamrock across from Jim the Anvil Knight. Like two oh, polar that, opposite. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jim the Anvil, I don't think has ever gone to a gym. Uh, he's just a big, bulky guy that... The dude The dude is massively strong. He's a very strong guy, but he's not... His physique, compared to Roydy Magoo Shamrock standing there, <laughs> shoot fighter, knows actual, yeah. like, moves and you have, stuff. You have brute force taking on technician. So it was just a very odd visual. It was a, an odd group. Pillman tags in instead and decides, you know what? I'm going to spit in Shamrock. He spits in Ken Shamrock's face, which yes. is a very dangerous proposition to spit in a shoot fighter's face. I whoo. Then we get Owen tagging in and Goldust tags in. Owen chance breakout. Insiguri for two on Goldust. Then Hawk is in. Hawk lands a terrible looking splash on Owen. Like he lands on his feet and then falls over off the top turnbuckle splash onto Owen. Owen tries a sharpshooter on Hawk, but it doesn't work. Tags British Bulldog in. British Bulldog hits a vertical suplex to Hawk, who no-sells it. And then Bulldog hits his running power slam on Hawk. Brett and Goldust tag in. Brett puts Goldust in the tree of woe and the, in the Heart Foundation corner. And the Heart Foundation put the boots to Goldust, who's trapped in the tree of woe. The Americans run in to save him. Owen and Animal end up legal now with... Owen delivering a missile drop kick to Animal. Owen looks for a Hurricane Rana on Animal, but gets power bombed. Animal power slams Owen and calls for the Doomsday device. They get it, but the Americans break up the cover. Austin is on the outside of the ring brawling, and he gets hit with a beer from the crowd. Not just any crowd. He's in the Hart Foundation crowd, and Bruce Hart threw the beer at him and starts attacking. Yeah, Bruce did. And uh, on Wrestling with Shadows, by the way, they talk about this. It shows the the planning on of this before the match. That oh yeah, go over there and have Bruce brawl with you. And they, it's very rare to see people talking out a match like yes. on in any situation. So yes. on Wrestling with Shadows, you can check that out. Owen Hart gets dragged into the post, and Austin attacks it. 
And so now his leg is hurt. Oh, no. So the refs carry Owen away. Yeah, you hear Brett telling him as they throw him back in, hey, drag him over, tag him out. He's hurt. They carry him out. The Hart Foundation is disadvantaged. It's five on four now. Yeah. Austin now battles the Hart Foundation all by himself for a minute. His old partner Brian Pillman tags in and immediately gets stunned by... Stone Cold Steve Austin. Brett then pulls Austin to the turnbuckle and attacks his leg. He grabs a fire extinguisher and smashes Austin's leg with it. A turnbuckle figure four on Austin from Bret Hart, but Hawk comes over and breaks it up. Austin now has a hurt leg, and now he's going to leave. So now it's four on four. Yep. So it is sort of like an elimination match at this point. Animal and Anvil are in a test of strength. Anvil wins, and then he grabs Animal and holds him over his knee so that Bret Hart can do that diving elbow that the Hart Foundation used to do back when they were a tag team. As he would lay the guy over his oh, knee. Oh, yes. The, uh, I know what you're talking about. I, I don't know the name of it if it had a name. I think they called it the heart attack. The heart attack was the lifting of the thing and the running clothesline. Pillman throws Shamrock into the Spanish announce table. Then they take out LOD. Bulldog stomps a mud hole in Shamrock back in the ring in the corner. Shamrock low blows him to get the tag to Goldust. Rules are not really that important in this match. (laughs) Goldust is going to curtain call Bulldog, but Pillman stops it. Suplex to Goldust, and then LOD breaks the cover. Austin comes hobbling back to the ring. So Austin is now legal again. Brett gets the tag, so... Both of these guys get a hot tag. Brett hits his second rope elbow drop on Austin for two. Brett locks in a sleeper, but Austin counters it with a jawbreaker. A sharpshooter on Austin, but Animal saves it. Austin locks a sharpshooter on Brett, but Owen breaks it up as he hobbles back to the ring. So now we're back to five on five. Austin whips Owen out of the ring and stomps Owen right in front of the Hart family and is like, oh, look at you, fuck you, I'm not, you know, jaws with him. Right. Austin, oh my goodness, blasphemy in Calgary. He starts punching at Stu Hart, who's like in his 80s at this point. Yeah, yeah, and and Bruce loses his mind. And so, yeah, the other Hart brothers that were sitting near Stu. Bruce and Keith and beloved Smith, uh, all three jump the guardrail, and here, here we go, man. And they just start all beating up on Austin. They start wailing on him. They roll him into the ring. Austin is still jawing with him from the ring. And Owen sneakily rolls up Austin by the tights and gets the win. And then all hell breaks loose and both teams brawl. The hearts that were in the stands hop over the the guardrail and starts brawling too. Eventually, the Americans defeated and out of the ring, they just walk away. Security escorts them back to the back. And now the Hart Foundation can get their shine in the middle of the ring, but not so fast, because Austin sneaks back with a chair and batters Jim the Anvil Neidhart, who had a Canadian flag in his hand and was celebrating, gets walloped in the back with a chair, and the Hart brothers, including the ones that were sitting ringside, have to beat him back down. And in my favorite, my highlight of the night, really, Austin is subdued by the security guards and Calgary's finest, and he's handcuffed. For most people, they would just walk away with the handcuffs on and... Yeah, no. <laughs> not, not not Austin. Unfortunately, Austin feels like I can still show a little bit of sign of disrespect to the Canadian crowd. And in a great move, a beautiful move, a hilarious move, Austin in handcuffs stips, sticks his middle fingers up and bends over so that the entire crowd in Calgary can... He sees they're fl- he's flipping them off. He gets a they get a piece of his mind. Yes, and so one of the many times Austin would be arrested uh, on WWF TV and yes, a very hilarious 
<laughs> walk to the back, flipping off the crowd. Then Pillman and Brett help Stu into the ring, and then uh, the rest, the grandkids, all of oh them. Oh my gosh, everybody! You have yeah. uh, Ted Hart, Teddy Hart. You have uh, David Hart David Smith. David Hart Smith. You have Natalia's there. You have. Uh, Owen's kids, Owen's wife, TJ's there, and it just, yeah, it was... It's a big celebration. No, it was was a great moment for the Hart family, because this whole event... Was for them. That whole weekend, it was for them, yeah. Yeah, which, uh, it's surprising that it did so well on pay-per-view, because as an American fan... I wouldn't have wanted to buy this pay-per-view. Now, that's... You wouldn't have wanted to support Bret no, Hart. No, I, it's not because of that. It's because it's a B pay It's an in-your-house. Correct. So I'm already not that excited about it. Uh, but then there's only four matches on the card, and it's a multiple-man tag. And not knowing... And being a new fan to... Re- relatively new fan to wrestling at this time, I had no idea that... I had no idea how big the hearts were in Canada and that this would be a big homecoming, like a big celebration type thing. And so I wouldn't have ordered it. And if I had ordered it, I would have been very confused because, yeah, of the way Brett was presented on television before and after this. Yeah. In the storylines, this never really happened. Like, it was never... He And what, what boiled down to is he crosses the border into Canada... And he's loved, but right. he steps back in the States, and he's hated. He's a heel here, yeah. And so... It would be very weird to watch this. Which is why I think heel Bret Hart worked, because really it wasn't being a heel. He just flat out said it, told the truth. Yeah. Like, hey, you fans are the ones that changed, it's not me. You're the yeah. ones that are cheering a guy who's drinking beer and flipping the bird and... Cursing and you know, yeah. and I've, I'm the same Bret Hart I've always been. You guys turn, not me. And so, yeah. which was, I mean, tremendous. I, you know. And like I said before, this was heavily featured on Wrestling with Shadows. It was a really, it was a really nice thing to do. Uh, for Vince, always had a lot of respect for Stu and that Canadian territory. So yeah. it's so out of place in the rest of 97 and in the rest of... It's just so... It's like an isolated... It's it's almost it's, like... It's sort of like ECW One Night Stand where it's like it stands alone. And yeah. it's like... It's out of context. It's of, not It's not with anything else that happened that entire year. And it's also a reminder if the WWE would pay any attention... To make stars in their hometowns instead of beating them all the time and making them look like shit. Like just a just a few weeks ago, they had AJ lose in Atlanta to Dolph Ziggler yeah. for no fucking reason. Yeah, uh, Bailey lost in her hometown, lost the title in San Jose. They have Charlotte loses in Charlotte. Sasha loses in Boston or wherever. Cena loses in Boston. They why don't you build? You could have reaction. That crowd was mental for these guys. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with building hometown stars, even if they only cheer for that one person on the card that night or whatever. That one night though, is what creates magic. Yeah. Or like, imagine the sh- if the shocker is if he does lose. Now you're going into it expecting him to lose. Yeah. Well, and. 
Like in in 2011, after the pipe bomb promo, CM Punk went into Money in the Bank to wrestle John Cena. Imagine if they had just beat CM Punk clean in Chicago. In Chicago, yeah, that place would have rioted. Not o- not only that, but then in the future, he's he's not a star. You know, when they go back there, because uh, he's just a you know yeah. he's not special. There's nothing sp- treat. Treat people in their hometown special, and you'll yeah. get the reactions that you get here. Like I like the way they broke up the Heart Foundation entrance, how they each had their own music, and they all came out, and they all stood side by side. They all got their minute instead of just all walking out there together. Yeah. Just That's the thing is it was shocking to me. You you get Owen, and you get his cheers, and, and with Anvil, and with Brett, and with... But when Pillman walked out... <laughs> yeah. And that place went so crazy over Pillman. Like, that's when it hit to me, like, holy crap. These, you know, it's not just a one specific person here. You can that, be associated with. You can be associated with the Hart family. And, like, that's how over they are in Canada. Yeah. So. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's an it's an excellent watch because it's only a little over an hour and a half. And Yeah, I... It is a definite watch for any wrestling fan, especially any any Hart family fans of now. Yeah, or just fans of hot crowd, fun wrestling to watch. Where just there's so and for uh, I know it was just a ten man tag or whatever, but it was still entertaining. I mean, yeah. I, it, there was plenty of action always going on. Nothing, like, nothing in this entire show drug on and on. Like everything was on point, on pace. I think the the mankind and Triple H brawling could have stopped after the one segment. Outside of that, I really don't have any other criticism. Oh, going? Like, you mean going back? Going st- back to him, like going backstage and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't mind him going backstage, but after that, it's just done. You know, it's like yeah. they we don't need to see him brawl. So we get it. We get it. They don't like each other. You know, this is an ongoing feud. But yeah. So uh, good pick. Thank you. A lot. I had not. Well, I have actually seen this, but it's been a really, really long time. I actually might have seen it in '97 at some point. I might have rented this on VHS because I was curious. Blockbuster. Well, I, in Ottawa, it was uh, Video Park was oh. uh, was my uh, see in Hickson. In Hickson, it was Blockbuster. So, well, yeah, and Video Park closed down probably a year after this and so uh then it was hollywood video we yeah had, so oh video stores where have nobody nobody everybody's so used to going to like these red boxes now nobody knows about having to go into a store and rent video games or just we'll, go on netflix and press a button yeah you don't even have you to don't, go anywhere you actually had to get in your car and go and rent a movie or some a, people had to rent the vcr to play it in yes and they they sold those to you as well. Or rent a video game system to play it on. Yes. So. Patrick, on our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, the, the all-important rating scale, where does Canadian Stampede in your house 16 from 1997, where does that fall? All the way to the top. All the way to the top. Giant Gonzalez for All four matches. This was straight on point. Every it, Nothing drug on. It had a hot crowd. There was nothing bad you could say about this pay-per-view. It is, without a doubt, the perfect pay-per-view. I'm going to give it an Undertaker, as he was the champion at the time. I don't. I, I can't give it a perfect rating because uh, the mankind and uh, Triple H brawling kind of bored me. Also, it was a double count out. Uh, 
I mean, I know that they needed the story to continue, but I think Triple H could have easily just won again. I mean, it, I mean, and it's still in this day and age, it always takes three three fights to. Uh, f- I mean, they would only or go China, on to wrestle twenty or nineteen more times or whatever. Or so. China, China, reach in and hit him in front of the ref and. Nothing would happen. DQ, the you know. refing was a little off tonight, I'd yes, say. The that's uh, true. low blows were let go, a fire extinguisher shot was let go. Yeah. And I really didn't like the the logic behind having Sasuke go over Takama Shinoku, but the first half of the Taka match was I felt really slow. It really picked up the second half of the match and so that saved it for me, but so I'll give it an Undertaker. I'll give it very high marks, but I won't go. I won't, I'm still hesitant to ever throw out the uh, perfect Giant Gonzalez. Of see, uh, I'm I'm what you say. You always say I'm too nice. You say I'm too nice and too. too well, absolutely. Just like everything. You always say I'm too nice about the wrestling. I'm too nice about the wrestlers. Uh, yeah. Well, Patrick, since we have focused on Bret Hart, yes, the Hart family, we have. Uh, my pick for next week. We will go to. October 4th, 1999, the Monday Nitro. It's the Owen Hart tribute match from Kemper Arena with Brett and Chris Benoit. And uh, try to remember what else is on that show. Because so, that's what I'm really curious about. I know I've seen the match several times. Oh, the but. match is phenomenal. One of the greatest feats in technical wrestling history. It's, it's absolutely tremendous. And I think that will conclude our look at the... The month we've had of uh, Bret Hart and the Hart family. We'll try to move on. We'll move past. This was... Uh, I couldn't really think of anything else to tie it into at the moment. I know we're having Money in the Bank tonight uh, in the WWE, but I don't really want well, to watch an old Money in the Bank. No. Uh, this has been strictly for... We've explained. This has been strictly for the Hart family and for, for Smith. And so uh, we uh, we just wanted to go ahead and uh, you know do this one strictly for him. This was uh, these past few have been geared towards them in regards to him and to the Hart family. Our thoughts and prayers go out to you. I think that's got it, Patrick. That'll do it for another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. You can get all our episodes at retrowrestlingpodcast.com on Facebook, the Retro Wrestling Podcast page, and of course Patrick Young's. Wrestling Facebook page. Patrick Young, correct? That's all they need to say. Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling, either one. That'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. Bingo, bingo.